All right. Hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to another episode of Crypto with English. So I'd like to uh, welcome our special guest today. We are joined with Kat Phillips, a highly accomplished entrepreneur, influencer, and thought leader just at the age of 20, mind you, with a long list of uh, accolades and accomplishments. And uh, I'm going to actually kind of laundry list just a few just to uh, provide greater context to the audience as far as what I'm talking about. So she was featured in Business Insider, which, uh, by the way, is an incredible um, accomplishment in of itself. She was the uh, Midlands Young Entrepreneur of the Year for 2022. And by the way, I've been to the West Midlands before in the UK. It's a very nice, beautiful area, to say the very least. She um, she's also the founder of a very, very successful award-winning business called Pivot. This is a digital marketing agency, and it really focuses on creating brands and uh, essentially scaling those brands, I guess you could say, to the, uh, to the uh, I guess you could say, the, the maximum extent of uh, the potential and uh, whatever, is, whatever is there. So uh, listen, Kat, thank you very much for coming on today. Um, since you've done quite a, quite a bit, can you talk a little bit about your, I guess you could say, your entrepreneurial journey? Um, I know that you started your agency um, after being furloughed, which is, by the way, incredible, because I think a lot of times, especially with the pandemic and the lockdowns and whatnot, it's very easy to kind of just get down on yourself and kind of, uh, well, to be honest, not be very optimistic or essentially very creative, especially given the hardship being presented. Mm, absolutely. And yes, you're totally right. So that's basically how it started. So um, first of all, hi, I guess. I'm Kat. So great to be on and thanks for having me. Um, yes, yeah, so it started um, when I think it was 2021, April 2021. And we were just in the pandemic. And um, I'd just been furloughed. And then after the furlough, I'd been made redundant from the travel industry. And I was looking for new jobs and I had a bit of a situation where I didn't quite make it through uh, one of the interview processes they basically dropped me over text so it was a bit right. of a oh. bit of a yeah <laughs> well that's nice <laughs> it was not very nice at all yeah it was um it was a moment where I didn't know what to do obviously I broke down for several minutes and then I remembered that I'd right. seen like a side hustle on TikTok which was to do with like drop shipping notebooks through Amazon so right. I went from about I think it was about six I woke I think I worked until about 6 a.m so it was about 12 hours or maybe longer than that um, and I just worked fully on creating this website for notebooks and doing this doing that and creating everything there possibly was then I went to sleep finally at 6 a.m slept woke up and when I woke up I realized I had absolutely no passion for notebooks whatsoever um so I guess that sleep really did me some favor uh, but nice. um, from there, obviously, I'd been doing marketing before, so I went and just continued on to create a marketing agency instead, and I guess I haven't looked back since. Yeah, and it seems to have worked out quite well. Um, you've been able to, I guess, scale your own brand and uh, many others as well, and I think just in your own right, you've been able to accomplish 2 million views per month, which, um, by the way, is quite incredible and in fact i think you know it would be fair to say for many that are trying to come up getting two million views period is quite um an uphill battle so talk about how you were able to do that getting views and getting um you could say um audience and uh, user interaction is very very important i would say it's paramount to almost any type of product or service that you're doing nowadays so talk a little bit about that process Mm, yeah, it is. It's difficult. Um, but once you kind of master your personal brand or your brand in general, I think it's quite an easy process and it's replicable. So that's kind of what I do with my clients. But the most right. important thing is starting. So getting started in some way or another and learning along the way was kind of what I did um, with like sort of split testing, etc. What kind of worked on the platform, what worked with my brand. Um, but getting started, then actually being consistent with it. So a lot of people talk consistency being like, I don't know, every single day, we have to post like five times a day or something. But um, 
I wouldn't say it necessarily has to be every day. When I started out my personal brand journey, it was more, uh, I think I started out posting three times a week and I was posting very irregularly. I had to try and test kind of which times worked best. And right. so I found, I found after a while of building up this demand, I was finally able to nail down time for me was 8.30 in the morning. Uh, that's UK time, of course, because that's where most of my audience is from. Right. And then I started posting three times a week. Then after I scaled it up to about five times a week and um, it works for me. But I think it's important to try and find what's what works for you um, rather than copying what everybody else does. Because if everybody else is posting at the same time as you, you're not really going to show up on the feed. Um, right. So find your audience. Um, but also, I think originality is something I've never really talked about on live streams and stuff like that. Um, but it's something that came to mind recently, and I thought I might have to make a post about that because the biggest separator and divider from me and other people in my space is the fact that I create content that's original to me. And you see a lot of the LinkedIn feed at the moment, which is crowded with the same boring, monotone stuff. And it's really... That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know um, what maybe the best way to put it, but a lot of it seems almost like a lot of this redundant, and not to knock it, almost like these uh, self-help platitudes, which are very kind of generic and vague, if, if, that, if that kind of makes sense. That's how it comes off to me anyway, because I've seen a lot of the same type of material. It's kind of like, uh, you know, follow your instinct, you know, trust your inner compass. I mean, listen, I, I think that's great and whatnot, but when you see, you know, hundreds of people doing that, it kind of makes you wonder, like, what the hell is going on here? Like, what else is out there? I agree. And there's so many people who, like, copy other creators and stuff like that. And, yeah. of, you know, it's okay to do that every now and then and, like, kind of replicate it. But there are people who copy others and, they, and it's not scalable in the long term because you're just copying, you're not innovating. And so being original is one of the biggest things that I would advise, trying to come up with your own ideas as they come throughout the day. Um, has been literally all I do is jot down ideas every single day. Um, yeah. And they just come to me once you're in that mindset. Got it. And when it comes to building brands, uh, some people have relied heavily on bots and buying services regarding that. What's your take on that? Is it kind of uh, something that seems to be useful in the short run and probably useless in the long run? I've heard various opinions about it. Um, but I, but since this is your wheelhouse, I really wanted to know your thoughts on that. And what was the question there? Sorry. Uh, people on. essentially, uh, you know, buying uh, and you can say subscribing to bots to essentially build their, you know, uh, their followers uh, and, and viewership and things like that. You know, you see it on Instagram and Twitter and, and whatnot. And it seems to me on one hand, uh, I guess people who have the capital to do that, it seems like it's a quick way to, you could say, inflate your numbers. On the other hand, it seems like once people find out that most of your followers are bots, it seems like uh, you can lose credibility almost immediately. Oh gosh, absolutely, yeah. I think, um, and if you do get those, if you buy followers, then you're not going to get the engagement. You're going to have to buy the engagement along with it as well. Right. Um, so it's going to be an uphill battle, and I think the algorithm's probably going to deprioritize you as well. Um, so I've had a couple of prospects this week who've asked me, like, do you have engagement pods and stuff like that? And oh, to be honest, yeah, that too. Yeah, I must have been quite naive to this. I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, and I had to kind of Google it and it's apparently like a group of people who kind of, you know, yes. put their and engage with each other and it's kind of like fake engagement, but more real. And I don't think that that's yes. a good idea because it's just, it's not real engagement. Yeah, and by the way, it seems like pods, and, and I've come across this a lot nowadays as well. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I guess people will try to like uh, pitch to me like various services and whatnot, but it seems like pods is a less obvious and maybe a more subtle way of getting followers. But would it be fair to say that's a kind of a very limited, short-sighted way of building a community? Because I guess if it's if it's kind of uh, artificial and you know people are kind of um, you know, either by, you know, I guess the requirements of what they signed up for, you know, engaging with your content. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I think I think over time you're going to get almost like cookie cutter comments and like cookie cutter responses. And I think I, I mean, I'm not sure as far as the algorithm of LinkedIn, but I, I do think if 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 the same data or you could say the same input is constantly being fired into this platform, it's probably not going to either enhance or further circulate or, you know, otherwise really improve your brand uh, over time. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's going to really improve uh, visibility. I don't know if it's going to get more people. I mean, I'm speculating here, but, uh, you know, I wanted to know your thoughts. Yeah, no, you're totally right there. I think long term is the only way that you can think about it. And when you yeah. get started, you can only think in the short term because you're comparing yourself to people who are above you, who've got more followers, more this, more that. And so it's really easy to get caught up in going and, you know, doing all that, getting involved in pods and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But long term, it's not sustainable. Um, and everything will come with time once you find your feet. And so the right. other thing is, like connection requests on LinkedIn. I did talk about it once in my post, um, but I actually don't accept all of them. Um, and it's not necessarily me being picky as such. It's more just accepting a few who perhaps, you know, I'd like to work with or right. um, maybe I like their content or something like that. Um, something that is, you know, a reason for you to accept them rather than just to boost the numbers. Um, because right. when you do actually i've realized that long term it's not impactful so now that i don't really accept many connection requests i'm getting way more engagement after like a whole month or two i think i had to wait for that um got it dms are much more quality focused and so are the followers so it's much more impactful long term if you just try and avoid chasing all of those things right and it, it seems like uh i guess the AI or algorithm is essentially going to feed you, I guess, whatever you're interacting with. So that makes uh, a tremendous amount of sense. And what's your take on hashtags? So this is something I've discussed with other, you know, digital marketing agencies, and everybody seems to have a different opinion on it. And I think some of it is technical and some of it is almost anecdotal. But um, what's your opinion on using hashtags and how many? should one use per post great question so i'm going to keep it to linkedin for this particular question but um i would <laughs> i would say um i use about three in each post um i know that that's constantly changing i think linkedin announced something recently about increasing that but to be honest with you i've had clients who have gone viral without any hashtags in there whatsoever um so it's not yeah, it's not imperative to the success of your branding, um, but you know it helps sometimes get that extra reach maybe when you're starting out um, or just keeping it relevant to the kind of audience you want to find. So right. I also, I don't actually talk about this too much either, so this is a nice little tip, but I actually keep my hashtags in text as well so it doesn't look so like I'm trying to get this engagement. I see what you mean, yeah. So you keep it in like the body of the paragraph or the sentence, right? Exactly. So a lot of okay. people put like 10 at the end and it just yeah. looks like, oh yeah, I need to get this engagement by adding like thousands of hashtags. But because I put mine in text, I put, I don't know, it could be talking about, I don't know, women in business or something like that. And it could be, right. oh, such and such, um, I met this lovely lady in hashtag business. Then you go right. on to talk about the rest, you know, it's kind of within the body of the text. Interesting. And I think that's a very, very good tip to keep in mind because I do see an overwhelming amount of content. And by the way, I make this mistake as well. So when it comes to, I guess, posting content regarding either conferences or even the show, I will make this mistake and I'll gladly admit it. I will put essentially the uh, anywhere from like three to eight, you could say hashtags at the end. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I definitely see your point. And I think considering LinkedIn changes and flips the script all the time, uh, it, it, I think it's good to be conscious of uh, some of those little things, which is, uh, of course, uh, which is why I like to ask uh, questions, you know, uh, surrounding this as well. So, mm -hmm. given that you're given that you're 20 years old and you've done this, uh, how I guess how did you become so serious about, you could say, uh, entrepreneurship, and you could say building a brand so early? Because if I was to be candid, if I was thinking about myself at 20 years old, and I'm 37 now, I'm like. 
wow, my head was definitely not in that direction whatsoever. So <laughs> you can talk about that. Was there a certain mentor or a certain experience or a group of experiences, I guess, that kind of gave you that maturity earlier on? Mm, yeah, I get asked this a lot, actually. Um, I think there was a moment where everything kind of switched in terms of mindset, but that was because I'd already started the business. So yeah. the actual starting of the business is probably more direct directly from like my corporate career uh, yep. where I wasn't quite like enough yet to get to the next stage and so I was given the opportunity elsewhere so like I'd have to move to another company to kind of get that but I wasn't ever able to like be seen internally so right. um, it was one of those I just wanted to keep pushing keep pushing keep pushing and then eventually I guess I had the drive instilled in me naturally to to kind of go for it and do it myself um, yeah. But uh, as far as everything else goes, it's, I think when I started the agency, I was watching a lot of role models such as Stephen Bartlett and Gary Vee and a lot okay. of people like, so they had a huge impact. Um, and I think, I think it's fair to say that they had different impacts. So Stephen is the one who taught me a lot about mindset. So I read Vex King's book, um, Good Vibes, Good Life, I think it is. That's a really good starting okay. point. Yes. And I think I listened to a lot of what Stephen was saying in terms of like business mindset. And I applied it because he talked about if you want to be a good leader, then you have to be able to be, to take accountability, to you know own up to your mistakes and say, hey, it's okay. Right. Um, yeah, you know, train your team to be the same. And so I thought, okay, I want to have a positive led team. Um, right. So how can I do that, right? It has to start with me. And so that's where it came from. And then just bettering myself in that way was probably the success that I've had now, I suppose. Um, and yeah. building that mindset and all those soft skills has led me to being able to continuously grow. Good stuff. And, and you know, I, I think, you know, Stephen Bartlett and Gary Vee, uh, you know, I think they provide a lot of great insights and wisdom um, as far as, you know, creating a brand. And I would even say creating credibility around a brand, too. And in fact, uh, you know, Gary Vee, uh, I think no matter what he's talking about and whether, you know, one likes him or not, he does communicate a very uh, strong um, sense of credibility and uh I guess you could say genuineness in whatever he is talking about. You know, maybe sometimes one can argue, maybe it's a little, oh, it's like, you know, it's a little too positive or it's a little bit too, uh, you know, you could say too, it's a little too much glass uh, half full. But I do think in whatever he is doing, it is coming from a very sincere, uh, genuine place. So, and by the way, he's also from, uh, he's also from New Jersey too. So he's actually not, Actually, originally where he grew up was actually not too far away from me. So, uh, but, you know, he, um, I really do like the way he, he does his brand. And in fact, it's, it's overwhelmingly positive. And I think that's very, very important, especially the mindset, especially in this day and age. It's very easy to kind of uh, get focused on the wrong things, especially negative things in this day and age. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to your content, you know, uh, you know, as we were talking earlier, there is a lot of recycled kind of content out there on LinkedIn, whether it's platitudes or whether it's, um, you could say like uh, motivational quips and quotes, um, there is this sense that a lot of this stuff is being recycled, reposted, repackaged, and this is kind of across, you could say, uh, numerous parties and whatnot. Could you talk a little bit about the uh, type of things you like to post about and you know discuss as well? Because uh, I think one of the things that people are very, very attracted to and gravitate to towards uh, nowadays is actually authenticity, you know, authentic content and having that um, almost that side of either, you know, you could say candor or bluntness to whatever they're actually talking about. And I guess the point is, I think putting out a nice quote isn't enough for a lot of people nowadays. I think people want to learn more about whoever or whichever the, uh, you know, who that influencer is and what they're, you know, what they're talking about and uh, what they stand for. Yeah, great. Yeah, so I think authenticity is definitely the heart of all. Um, and that kind of goes back to the being original side of things. 
And so because there is a lot of the same content that's being pushed out there, it's much easier to stand out. So with my content, it's, it's more original to my values, my kind of way of thinking about things and opinions. Whereas a lot of people, I think, are still afraid on some level to push out exactly what they feel and not sure how to word it. Um, right. So I guess that's probably been the separator. Um, like, for example, my one this morning talked about um, women in business, I suppose. It was about... Right. Um, yeah, so it was... Yes, I read that earlier, so... Yeah, good. It was a different viewpoint from what I've seen a lot of people posting about, and it's a subject that's not talked about enough. And so I wanted to give some awareness to it. Um, and, you know, through an opinion, something that I'd gone about in my daily life and noticed, picked up on and thought, okay, that would make really good content to really get some awareness out there. And so having that sort of that mindset on a daily basis of this would be good content, this would be good content, you kind of get to, you, you get to adapt that style of creating or more so documenting rather than creating. And right. it makes it a lot easier. Um, and so it's just creating content that like it almost think about it as if you were documenting it for yourself maybe rather than like because when you think about it going out to a group of people you think what are they going to think about this oh i've put this or sure. you're crossing it from their perspective rather than your own opinion and so when you're writing it for yourself you're really genuinely expressing your actual opinion and i think that might help a bit right and when it comes to let's say talking about certain topics that may either be controversial or even rub people off the wrong way. Um, there seems to be a certain way of doing it. And when it comes to you, how do you figure that out? Because um, I think anecdotally speaking, I think we've all seen either, you know, different influences where I think they're trying to talk about something that's very important, but may also be controversial. But because maybe the way certain parts of it are written, it's uh, interpreted or received in uh, unintended ways. And I, I think often we, we see that more often than not, actually. So, you know, when it comes to you and your brand, how are you able to smoothly uh, navigate those waters? So, you know, communicate a very genuine and, and sincere, you could say, uh, you know, feeling or viewpoint on something without essentially making it inflammatory where it's like distracting. I think that's what happens with certain posts. They become distracting because I think people focus perhaps on something, um, an aspect that perhaps wasn't communicated very well. And mm. it ends up being kind of uh, viral, but for all the, the wrong reasons, so to say. Yeah, no, I've seen a lot of those myself. Uh, I try not to be too controversial, so I don't make uh, content to be controversial, whereas I know that a lot of people do try and do that just to get engagement. Um, right. But I, you know, with my post this morning, there were a few like different opinions about it. And it was really great to get a viewpoint from all different angles. Um, right. But, you know, it was just, it was my opinion. It wasn't me trying to chase all of this engagement. And I think there's a big difference between the two. Um, but again, I don't think there's anything you could fully do to totally cover your back. There's always going to be somebody who's sure. going to say something that is just totally not with what you were trying to say um but i mean i like to read it back to myself and give myself a couple of hours in between perhaps so i read it back from that's there. a good idea you know because you're not you know once you get soaked into it you kind of it's all you can think about but if you give yourself a couple of hours and you come back to it you say okay you've got a fresh set of eyes you can really look over it from all viewpoints and maybe even get a second opinion if you have time you know right so yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. And I would, and actually, I do something similar. Although I think most of my content is more along the lines of you know podcasts and live streams. But I do feel this: if there is something you really want to say, I think if you're very emotional and fired up about it, I personally do this. I write a draft of it, and I'll come back to it in a few hours because I know this: whatever I'm feeling now, probably when I'm calm later or more relaxed. I'm going to be thinking about this situation much differently. So certainly I wouldn't want to be like uh, shooting from the hip, as they say. And then it's like, oh, I shouldn't have wrote that. Now I got to go like, uh, I don't know, backtrack and edit it and, 
you know, it, it seems like actually more work. And I do see this where a lot of people will fire out something and you can kind of tell it's just right from the hip, right from the moment, just pure emotion and whatnot. And uh, it, it seems like it's, uh, it's like a 50-50 type of scenario where, okay, you could effectively communicate what you're feeling and what you mean. On the other hand, you're not because you're fired up or maybe, let's say, very emotional, you might be saying this in a way that is, you know, unintendedly or unintentionally either, I guess you could say, distracting or inflammatory, so to say. So I do, um, I like, you know, kind of like you, um, I do that myself, but uh, I totally understand that to actually kind of come back to it a little bit later because it's very easy to kind of get wrapped up in the moment and just be like, I got to say this. So I'm going to say it now. Uh, and I think over time it's actually better. Um, you know, and I think common sense would dictate to, you know, just kind of sit back on it, you know, kind of, you know, <laughs> revisit it in a little while and then mm. make up your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think you can only see it from one viewpoint when you're writing it and then you come back to it and you think, Oh, this could be taken in this way or this could be taken in that way. And even when you do, you know, try and cover all bases, there's always going to be a comment. I mean, I had a comment on mine this morning right. with like something so, so taken out of proportion, but you know, right. I have a wonderful community who uh, supports me and comments back and defends. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you there. And my feeling is this, I am totally okay with either, you know, uh, I guess you could say critics or skeptics or cynics of, let's say whatever I say, but that's as long as I've had the time to A, write it, reflect on it, and I'm okay with it before it goes out. Then like if, you know, if I put something out, I don't really think too much um, as far as, um, you know, if this person is pissed off because they misread some part of it, well, that's really on them because I've reflected on this. I wrote about it. I thought about it before I even posted it out. So I'm fine with the finished product because I kind of had my own, you could say, uh, you could say reflective process. So I would be, I'm personally fine if somebody disagrees with that. However, personally speaking, if I, and I've done this a few times, I think many people have, if I fired out something on the fly and on the go and there's going to be kind of a situation where like, huh, maybe I should have thought about that a little bit more because, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I actually wanted to say this. Unfortunately, I communicated it differently, you know, earlier. So that's my, uh, that's my kind of feeling. And that, that would be like a context where I'm like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have done it this way. So there's kind of like almost this like ruminating or little bit of like, uh, you know, I guess you could say, <laughs> I wouldn't say regret, so to say, but there's kind of like this, okay, I could have done this better <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, I think one of the cool things about your content, too, um, is that uh, you did a post recently where you said five things you didn't know about me. And actually, I think those are a lot, those type of posts are more effective than I think a lot of people give them credit for because... I've seen this in crypto, I've seen this in blockchain and other tech. It's very easy for somebody with a large following to do the whole, you know, I'm going to rent a, I'm going to rent a Ferrari for a day and make, you know, tons of content, you know, surrounding that to kind of present this very glamorous, but either you could say either very, very pretentious or, you know, very, or you could say, uh, it, it, I guess as far as perception wise, something that comes off as very obnoxious. Um, and on the other hand, you know, you, you essentially put a laundry list here, uh, you know, saying that, by the way, your quote, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I think it's actually very cool. I'm actually a huge nerd, gaming, Marvel, reading, you name it. I feel like a lot of times when people put themselves out there, they don't really put themselves out there. So it's like, okay, I'm going to show you what I think is very, very cool. And like I said, whether it's the the whether it's the location, whether it's the car, whether it's on a yacht and things like that, I think when people in some instances try to come off sincere, that's kind of what they lead with. And I think over time, whether it's on LinkedIn or something else, that formula doesn't really work so well anymore. I don't think uh, I don't think necessarily it's a good thing to build a brand off of. And, you know, by the way, I'm going to read the rest of this. So these are very interesting things about you. 
So you speak Spanish, French, and Italian, and this is along with English. So that is very, very impressive to say the least. Uh, you know, Thanks. being able to speak those languages, uh, um, especially. <laughs> so four languages, which is incredible. You mentioned you're a 20 year old agency owner and uh, your last name gets spelled 95% of the time. Why is that, by the way? I think your last name is quite uh, straightforward. Is there like a story behind that? Honestly, I think people just add letters to it. So it should be Philp, but people say Philip, Philps, okay. Philips. So um, it's just people, because Philip and Philips is quite a common name. People just like right. glance and it looks like that, so. Got it. With my last name, I've always kind of gotten these little, you know, kind of uh, cute jokes like surrounding it. So like if I was to make a reservation at a restaurant or something, I'm like, oh, yes, uh, last name is, you know, my name's English or, you know, table for two for English. And they're like, oh, we speak English. I'm like, I'm not saying you don't. I'm saying that's literally my, my last name. And <laughs> well, I guess because my last name being at is there's always been a lot of like little, little jokes around it. Johnny English movie, for instance, and, you know, a few other things. So, yeah, I can I can at least to an extent understand where uh, uh, maybe some of the uh, uh, some of the quirks come from from having a uh, interesting last name. And uh, you also mentioned your height here, you know, 510, which is awesome, to say the least. Yeah. A lot of people think that I'm a lot. Well, I don't know. I guess I don't really think I'm that tall. So when they meet me, they're like, oh, my God. So I had to find that. Okay. And, you know, because here you mentioned you're a huge nerd into gaming, you know, I always liked, especially, you know, growing up and you play video games where if you were to select a character in a video game, you almost got like a short bio of them. And you see this in many, many video games. You got their, you got their height, you got their weight, you got their skill set, you got their likes, you got their interests. This was in like, you know, games uh, like, you know, like X-Men, Spider-Man, um, you know, uh, even games like Metal Gear Solid and things like that, where you get these like little bios of the characters. And I always thought that was a good thing because it kind of almost makes you more immersed, you know, in the game. So I could almost say like, based on your five things you didn't know about me, this could easily be almost like a uh, video game character, you know, select screen bio, so to say, like, you know, whether it was something like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat, where I think in some versions, they'll actually have like the little, um, and I'm talking about back in the day. So I'm talking about like the second Street Fighter 2. So this is like 1994. So it was called Street Fighter 2 Championship, Champion Edition. So I was nine back then. But in the select screen, they had a little bio. And it was essentially height, weight, interest, favorite food. And I always thought, that's actually a pretty cool way. So I know what Ryu and Ken like to do as far as hobbies. I know what they like to eat, you know, so to say. So I think doing it like this and also liking gaming – I think this is quite fitting, and I think it's very, very cool. And, you know, actually, I'm going to like this right now. Oh, I already did. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's my thought. Those are my thoughts on that anyway. Mm, it's very effective long term. So I think with, so with some of the content, I'm willing to sacrifice engagement just so my audience can get to know me better. And so that one, you know, it did okay. It was a nice post, but for me, in comparison to my other content, um, doesn't really do much. So, but I think what what the importance of it is, it's almost like PR, you know, bringing that like that side to you out and right. your audience to understand who you are. Um, then the next post might be the one that they reach out to you on. And so I think it's really important to sacrifice engagement sometimes for the sake of your audience getting to know you. Got it. And, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, the five things you didn't know about me, and, and this, is a, this is actually a very, very specific question. Now, you mentioned your height. Is this something that maybe female influencers experience more than male? Like, I guess you could say comments or observations about one's height. Because, you know, for instance, um, you know, I've never gotten any questions about, you know, my height or weight or, you know, physical attributes. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, uh, from the female perspective, is this something that maybe women will receive a little bit more, whether they're getting DMs or any type of engagement from, you know, followers and whatnot? Um, quite possibly. I mean, I'm not too sure. For me, my height was more when I was meeting up with people from LinkedIn. So I have okay. a lot of creative circle. Um, I don't usually get DMs asking for my height, luckily. 
But okay, that's uh, good. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say with height, there's probably going to be both parties. I mean, a lot of women like their mental, so perhaps. But um, but as far as content like that goes, like I said, um, it's bringing that sort of original value. And when you're adding things in there about yourself, people can then relate to certain parts. So sure. maybe somebody else is a Marvel fan, and then that's how you can connect with someone. So bringing that side of you out not only puts you out there in like an authentic kind of way, it also attracts people who have similar interests to you and therefore might want to work with you. Got it. And that makes perfect sense. And when it comes to gaming, uh, what titles do you play or what titles uh, did you used to play or, you know, what games were you, were you into? Um, so I used to be into like, I don't know what they call them, first player shooting or something like that. So Oh yeah, uh, first person shooters. Yeah. That's the one. So I used to play like a lot of Fortnite. Um Okay. Not COD because it's too gory for me. So I quite liked Fortnite for that reason. Okay. Um but I also played like Rocket League. Um Okay. All called Ori, which was really cute. I used to play when I was really quite a lot. What was younger. the last one you just said? Ori. It's like a storyline. Oh, like I've heard of that one. Yeah, I used to yeah. love that one when I was, I don't know, early teens, so. Oh, good stuff. And when it comes to Marvel, uh, are you more into the Avengers or are you more into maybe uh, certain, like, individual superheroes? Um, a mixture. I think the Avengers is, like, a very good um, uh, series, I suppose. My favorite's got to be Iron Man, though. Iron Man, yeah, yeah. And I think Robert Downey Jr. Uh, does a good job playing as uh, Tony Stark and I guess having the wit and the personality behind that. As a kid, I used to collect a lot of comic books. And when I was a kid, a long time ago, uh, there used to be an Iron Man cartoon on TV. So the Tony Stark on that was also kind of a smart ass, very sarcastic, always had these quips and one-liners. So, you know, watching the Iron Man movies now and kind of relating that to, I guess, you know, what I perceived as a kid, it's very consistent, and I think he's uh, certainly done a very good, good job. You could say honoring, you know, the role and whatnot. And by the way, so how did you come to learn Spanish, French, and Italian? Um, you know, you know, learning any language is a colossal, Herculean task. So uh, how did you, uh, how did you end up learning three of those languages? By the way, three great Romance languages: Spanish, French, and Italian. How did that happen? Mm. Um, so I speak Spanish from like from birth. My mom's Colombian, so I naturally, okay. I think, technically my first language. I spoke Spanish to her, English to my dad. Um, so I've always oh, grown awesome. up Spanish. Um, and then French, I picked up at school because I managed to do my Spanish um, exam earlier. So like I did mine in over here. We have like year groups of like seven when you're. I, 11 to 12, year seven. So I did my, my GCSE, it's called, um, in that right. year. And then I was able to do French going forward from that. Um, so I did French throughout school and then I studied at university level as well. Um, and then Italian was only picked up like last year during the pandemic. So that's awesome. And, uh, you know, moving off of uh, the list of, uh, I guess, five things you didn't know, I think I'm going to actually make one myself later because I looked at the comments and so many people were providing their own. I'm like, well, I guess I might as well. <laughs> What's your, yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, what are your thoughts on uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency and some of the things that are going on? And I'll tell you my thoughts too. Um, so part of the reason I do the show is because I wanted to, you know, better articulate and almost uh, make the subject matter more digestible for all users, whether you're an expert or whether you're just getting into it. So I think a lot of times when it comes to the messaging in this sector, it's, it, 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 it often misses the mark. So I think a lot of times, like for instance, people conflate or, con or kind of almost like, a, you know, kind of confused, look, kind of using it interchangeably crypto and blockchain, you know, for instance. And also, even as we speak now, and it's probably even more so as we speak now, there are these very, very negative, um, you could say, perceptions of cryptocurrency. So this ranges from, oh, it's digital money. Is this even real? Um, other comments go to like, okay, well, this is cryptocurrency. So this is essentially technology used for criminal purposes. 
And then some even go to like, okay, um, is this going to steal my private, you know, information and whatnot? So I think there is um, kind of a messaging, you know, issue here when it comes to a lot of the, the subject matter and how it's being communicated. So, you know, the question I would ask you, and this could be for me, this could be for anybody else, as a brand, how do you think blockchain could better, you could say, improve its optics or improve the messaging to people? Like, you know, getting your grandparents and your relatives like into this, you know, for instance. Honestly, I don't know enough about it to be able to make too much of a comment. However, my fact that I don't know that much probably helps answer this even more so. I was going to say, yeah, actually, I think I'm actually puts you in a better position to uh, point some of these things exactly. out. Exactly. Um, so I guess with like, well, with the whole, the generational thing, I guess it's quite a safety thing anyway. So, so from a, from a perspective from there, like I know my parents, they don't use online banking and stuff like that because it's like, Oh, you know, I could be. Oh, you know, really? <laughs> yeah. It's quite a, it's, it's quite a known thing from, you know, people of that sort of generation. I mean, I'm not sure stereotyping, but in general, I think the stats show that not many people will be naturally using those sorts of tools. So I think that the same goes for anything else that's new, you know, there's always yeah. going to be that uncertainty. Um, so, I mean, I really don't know how I could, how I would even go about improving that messaging, perhaps, maybe adding some sort of safety guarantees in there or something or something along the safety route because i think for most people it's just a case of safety but also the fact that they don't know enough about it or even want to invest into it so you know actually you raise a very good point because i think the inclination for a lot of people and i would say myself included is to really express the potential and you could say the greatness behind a lot of this the problem is, and I think this goes to your point, it doesn't communicate safety or security per se. You know, it's, you know it's, it seems like something that's either, it's very promising but also very risky. I do think that is a lot of what people kind of get when they're you know, either on the outside of this sector or they're just getting into it. So that might actually be a very good idea is to kind of provide these, you know, um, assurances to people that the shit's not going to hit the fan just because you buy a little bit of Ethereum, so to say. I think maybe that needs to actually be communicated a bit better. Uh, so I think you raise actually a very good point that's not very intuitive to a lot of people, myself included, actually, because like I said, my inclination is let me express this technology, why it's great and how it kind of fits into the overall context of your life. But I think the default position for a lot of people is, is like, okay, is my money going to be safe? Mm. You know, if I buy this cryptocurrency, is it going to increase in value over the time, over time, or is one bad day in the crypto market going to wipe out my entire investment? So I think these are things that a lot of people um, keep in mind. And in fact, I think that might be people's reflexive baseline uh, approach to all this. So actually, you know, you, like I said, you raised a very good point and I think it's actually better the fact that you're not like, you know, entrenched in this because you can kind of, I think, see some of these, um, you, you could say shortcomings that I think people who are in the industry won't be able to see, um, you know, off the top of their head, you know, and this would be myself included. So it's, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of, uh, I guess the term is missing the forest for the trees. So to say, um, I, I think many times often people in this industry, they're so, you know, they're so deep into the forest where they can really only see one tree itself. They don't really see the context of the entire forest, so to say. So I think that's where people like you come in. <laughs> that's what I'm here to do. <laughs> and as far as 2022, uh, what exciting things, projects uh, are you working on? And of course, you know, those that you're comfortable and uh, you know, willing to share. Mm, absolutely. Um, so I'm planning on obviously keep bringing the agency forward and expanding on that, um, particularly expanding on my speaking career. So got quite a lot of things that I'm doing. Um, well, obviously externally to the public, but also a lot of internal things, um, things I can't really discuss just yet, but I will post about them at some point. Um, but some pretty big, 
big brands. So it's pretty exciting. Um, aside from all of that side of things, um, I'm also building up a brand called Young Accelerators. And that's helping um, young people to begin their entrepreneurial journey or career or like switch career, all of those sorts of things through a community and an e-learning platform. So basically just trying to help the youth uh, build their career. And so I'd like to be able to finally launch that very soon. We're just building the course um, at the moment right. and the community will come next and then the platform, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then aside from that, I would like to get my first book out there. I've been writing oh, like thousands of things. Sorry? Do tell. Come yeah. On. Yeah. Or at least so, what you can reveal at this point anyway. I, yeah, I've actually revealed something on LinkedIn before about this, but I've got about three or so on the go that I am going to plan on publishing over the next few years. Um, all kind of works in progress. I kind of dip in and out. I haven't written anything for like a whole month, so I do need to get back to it. Um, Got it. But one of them is going to be like, you know, about me and personal branding, how to build your brand. Right. That's my main focus at the moment. Then I've also got one about like mindset and like my, maybe more to do with my startup journey than my, the natural personal branding. And then totally aside from that, a romance novel because I've always been a sucker for one. <laughs> Got it. Got it. And I have two uh, remaining questions for you. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of startups, generally speaking, and, you know, for, for, you know, practical purposes and otherwise, you know, like to save a lot of money. Some may opt to not use a digital marketing service and let's say go ahead and essentially do all that stuff in house. What would you say to that? And what would you say to the crowd as far as, well, listen, we don't need a digital marketing service. What would you say to that? I don't think all businesses do need agencies. Some of them do okay. need them in box. And so it depends on the type of business. I know larger businesses um, maybe have like a hybrid way of working. So they have people inside, but then they also maybe have like consultants that work externally and, you know, educate the team, et cetera. Right. Um, so I think that it depends on the business, but um, there are also obviously going to be upsides to either either side of the you know the right. uh, opinion here. But I think on the agency side of things, when you're starting out, it might be more time and cost effective because if you're trying to train a marketing employee and you have no marketing knowledge yourself, then that's going to be very right. difficult. You're not going to have the cash flow to get a marketing director initially from the get-go so an agency or a freelancer is probably going to be the best method when you're starting up got it and my final question is this and i think you can provide a decent amount of light on this but would you say now the future and this is um and this is you know including the labor force as it is across the world is the future going to be shaped and defined by entrepreneurs for this generation and just to provide some context to this, I think whether it's, let's say, your parents' generation or my parents' generation, I think a lot of the teaching and I guess a lot of the um, orientation is I'm going to go out, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a nice job, um, I'm going to you know, work a bunch of years, I'll either have a pension or a 401k, and then hopefully I have um, enough to retire on as far as a nest egg. I feel... And this is myself included. I don't believe that model either works anymore. And in fact, I don't think it's reasonable or realistic anymore. And mm -hmm. I've seen throughout the pandemic a surge of people legitimately chasing their own dreams and trying to build their own businesses. And I have to say, I don't think I've seen something like this ever. I would say it's almost like a movement without even calling it a name or something like that. But I wanted to know your thoughts on that. Is this going to be the generation of entrepreneurs going forward? I think so. I think we have to be careful with the word entrepreneur because I think that there's a difference between like being entrepreneurial and then like having a business of some sort. And so I sure. think like maybe you, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who might be like freelancing and doing other great things um, and building things that are that allow them to have a different lifestyle than the, the generations before us. Um, right. 
And so I think that that's going to be the biggest thing is people just working like flexibly around their lifestyle. Um, and then there are, of course, going to be people who are more entrepreneurial and are going to have their entire lives be their career until they get to a certain point. And I think that that is going to shape where we're going to go in the future. I mean, we can already see it happening. And a lot of it is because of the pandemic and people are expecting more out of life. So, right. Yeah. So would it be fair to say, uh, based on what you said, the old script more or less is, uh, has been thrown out the window. So the old, you could say nine to five in a cubicle in an office, that is probably not going to be, you can say, having so much of a big role in labor, in the labor force, in jobs, in companies going forward. I'd say it's definitely going to lessen. I mean, there are still people who are happy with their nine to five jobs and that is great. I mean, there are some really great roles, great cultures right. out there. So many people who are happy in their jobs and that's absolutely fine too. Um, so I think that there is going to be a lot more uprise in, you know, the whole freelance business or uh, right. things, but I don't necessarily think it's going to take over everything. Um, sure. Especially as there are people happy within their roles. Very well said. Well, Kat, I have to say thank you very much for coming on to the show today. You provided a great, uh, great amount of depth and insight in branding, in digital marketing, and essentially uh, a bird's eye view of where industry is going as far as communications and messaging and how to post content and what works and what doesn't. And you know, I think half the battle in any product, service, or thing that you do is how you communicate it and how you articulate it to people. I mean, you know, I think it, I think many times, and we can see this throughout history, there are many, many great products out there, many great services out there. But because, let's say, certain people didn't communicate it or articulate it in a way that really resonated with people, you know, it kind of, you know, fell by the wayside. So, you know, seeing what you're doing with your content and seeing what you're doing with your, uh, you know, your agency, uh, I think it's, I think it's, awesome and especially the fact that you're doing this at such a young age you know i think you're going to be in a position where you're going to have a lot of people uh who are going to want to be mentored by you you're going to have a lot of fans and people that look up to you over time and they're going to be asking you questions you know how did you do it what were some of the successes what were some of the obstacles so you know with uh with everything that you're doing you know i celebrate it wholeheartedly and keep it up and keep me posted and uh when you do uh, launch that book or when you're close to launching that book I'd be more than happy to have you uh, come back on and we can make an episode around that, uh, essentially a pre-launch or a book release type episode. Mm, absolutely. And thanks so much for those words. Yeah, it's, um, it's lovely to hear because sometimes obviously you just need that extra push. So really oh, absolutely. Yes. And thank you very much for, uh, you know, giving, uh, giving your time and energy to uh, come on today and provide these really great substantive insights. I really do appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Adam. Listen, take care. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Take care.